This podcast is made possible by thousands of dedicated listeners just like you. Be a part of this powerful three-decade legacy of evangelization by visiting materdayradio.com or downloading the Hail Mary Media app. And thank you for joining us on the bridge between your faith and everyday life. The Holy Spirit continues to set hearts on fire with the love of Christ and inspire people to bring the good news to a world that is aching to hear it. Welcome to Blazing the Trail, a weekly show dedicated to the church's mission of evangelization. Now, here's your guide on this grand adventure, Catholic singer, songwriter, author, and speaker, Miriam Marston. And welcome back to Blazing the Trail here on Mater Dei Radio. My name is Miriam Marston, and it's great to be with you each week as we take a closer look at what God is doing in our world today. And He is most definitely at work. And in this episode, we see Him at work in Nashville, Tennessee, as my guest Joan Watson will attest to. Joan is a speaker and writer based in Nashville. And as you'll learn in our interview, much of Joan's ministry is inspired by her favorite scripture verses, which can be found in the first chapter of 1 John. She quotes part of it briefly in our conversation, but it's worth taking a few moments to pause and really take in these verses because I really do think they provide a beautiful summary and description of evangelization. So here are those verses. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we looked upon and touched with our hands concerns the word of life. For the life was made visible. We have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was made visible to us. What we have seen and heard we proclaim now to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. For our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing this so that our joy may be complete. Again, that's from the first chapter of 1 John. And if you've ever wondered what evangelization is about, this is a perfect place to start. It is about proclaiming to others what has been made known and visible to us. And you might argue, well, that's all fine and good for the people who spent time with Jesus during his earthly ministry and in the days following his resurrection, but that time is over. We can't proclaim this truth in the same way. It's just different now on the other side of the ascension. But that's where we need to be constantly reminded that it precisely isn't different now. We can experience the same Jesus who walked this earth 2,000 years ago. He comes to us in the real presence of Holy Communion. He comes to us in the person of the Holy Spirit, the advocate that Jesus promised would come after He ascended to the Father, so that we may be guided in all things. When she talks about Lexio Divina, Joan makes a reference to Pope Benedict XVI and his thoughts on Scripture, so I thought I would share a few words from him before going into the interview. In a 2006 address, Pope Benedict XVI said, My dear young friends, meditate often on the Word of God and allow the Holy Spirit to be your teacher. You will then discover that God's way of thinking is not the same as that of humankind's. You will find yourselves led to contemplate the real God and to read the events of history through His eyes. You will savor in fullness the joy that is born of truth. I urge you to become familiar with the Bible and to have it at hand so that it can be your compass pointing out the road to follow. By reading it, you will learn to know Christ. A time-honored way to study and savor the Word of God is Lexio Divina, which constitutes a real and veritable spiritual journey marked out in stages. 
After the Lexio, which consists of reading and rereading a passage from sacred scripture and taking in the main elements, we proceed to meditatio. This is a moment of interior reflection in which the soul turns to God and tries to understand what His Word is saying to us today. Then comes oratio, in which we linger to talk with God directly. Finally, we come to contemplatio. This helps us to keep our hearts attentive to the presence of Christ, whose word is a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. To build your life on Christ, to accept the word with joy and put its teachings into practice, this should be your program. There is an urgent need for the emergence of a new generation of apostles anchored firmly in the word of Christ, capable of responding to the challenges of our time, and prepared to spread the gospel far and wide. It is this that the Lord asks of you. It is to this that the church invites you. And it is this that the world, even though it may not be aware of it, expects of you. Again, that's from Pope Benedict XVI and some of his reflections on the importance of studying and meditating on the scriptures. And now we turn to Joan's story and work as she's striving to do her part to help adults come to know and love Jesus Christ so that they can pass that love along to the next generation. I'm delighted to welcome Joan Watson to the show today. Joan is a Catholic speaker and author based in Nashville, Tennessee, but she travels all over for her ministry. Joan, it's really great to have you on today. How are you? I am doing well. Thank you for having me on. Well, it's a, it's a joy to, to have this chance to connect with you and hear about a little bit about your story and your current, uh, your current work in the Vineyard of the Lord. Uh, but Joan, walk us first through some of the earlier years. Where did you grow up? And um, was the faith something that was already in your environment growing up? And do you remember being evangelized yourself along the way? Well, I was, I am a cradle Catholic. So born and raised in the church, baptized a month after I was born. And I was very, very blessed to come from a very Catholic family. So my parents have been married for, I don't know, 47, 48 years, are still both practicing the faith. Um, We went to mass every Sunday as a family. We prayed every day as a family. Mm -hmm. Um, My brother and sister, they're both married with kids. My other sister is a Dominican sister here in Nashville, Tennessee. So all my family is still practicing the faith, which um, to have parents still married to each other and siblings practicing the faith and nieces and nephews practicing the faith is very, very rare. So I do not take any of that for granted. So yes, growing up, faith was a huge part of our lives. Not, I mean, I wouldn't say we were praying the rosary every night as a family or, you know, we weren't kneeling on broken glass and doing bread and water penances or anything. Right. Um, it was just a very natural part of growing up, um, very ordinary part of growing up. And so I think that's one of the reasons we all still kind of remained in the faith. That's beautiful. And where, where were you growing up at this time? So I grew up in Indiana, um, Lafayette, Indiana. And, um, my parents are still there. We, all of my siblings have scattered, but, um, but that was home until I went to college and yeah. I did undergrad studies at Christendom college in front Royal Virginia, and then grad studies at Steubenville at Franciscan university of Steubenville. Mm-hmm. Um, partly because I didn't want to go get a job. I just <laughs> wanted to keep learning about the faith. <laughs> so I, I went to Catholic schools from pre-K to my master's. Oh, wow. That's wonderful. Yeah. And uh, so it's it's clear the faith was taking 
root pretty early on within the context of the home. Uh, were you plugged into a local parish community as well? Yes. So we had a beautiful parish growing up. Um, and I didn't, I didn't realize how unusual it was until now when I tell stories about it and people are like, this is your parish. Um, just very alive in adult education, very alive in vocations. Um, we had a pretty good youth group and a lot of the people in my youth group went on to seminary and religious life. Um, we had adoration, um, every Sunday night we would gather together and say rosary together as a parish. And so just very alive in Marian devotion. We were consecrating ourselves to the Blessed Mother before it was cool. Um, <laughs> we were just really blessed growing up. Um, wow. Yeah. And so, yeah, just looking back, you know, you don't know what you have really. In, yeah. Until you hear what other people have had. Yeah, for sure. Yes. For sure. I, yes. I know I myself have the experience of being part of a really sleepy parish you know, mm-hmm. and when mm-hmm. I hear stories and, and and it is what it is, and it might be different now because that was a number of years ago, but it's so wonderful to hear of these vibrant, thriving parishes that um, are, are producing vocations of all kinds. And I always want to know what's the secret sauce, like what happened <laughs> at that parish? Yeah. And are, you mentioned a few things. You mentioned uh, Eucharistic adoration. You mentioned Marian devotion. I mean, does it all go back to that? What could you find kind of a pattern in there that helped kind of bring the place to life? I think those two things, I think those are the pillars, a Marian devotion. So in nine, I made my consecration of us another 95. Um, I was what, like sixth or seventh grade. I mean, I didn't know what I was doing, but everybody was doing it. And I look at how God blessed that. Like, you know, sometimes we, we think we have to know exactly what we're doing and we can't, you know, don't deny the power of grace, right? Um, It's not about what I'm doing, really. It's about what Mary's doing in me. And so to see that as a parish, um, every Marian feast day, like Father would say, like, let's pray the consecration prayer after Mass. Um, So that was huge. And then the Eucharistic Adoration. So our diocese was really struggling, like so many dioceses were with a um, lack of vocations. And a really beautiful married couple that we were, my family was friends with, decided that they were going to start perpetual adoration in the city. And they started perpetual adoration around the same time, 95. Um, Just this this married couple that was just, you know, we we all know them, right? Just alive in the Lord. And they started Eucharistic Adoration that continues in that that diocese today. And we saw an explosion of religious vocations after that began. Um, and then our parish had adoration once a week. Uh, we had First Friday adoration as well. And you just saw, you know, young people it, being introduced to Christ and having a personal relationship with Christ through that. Yeah. And I, I, I think we have to attribute that. The holy families, holy marriages, you'd have people getting engaged in front of the Eucharist. Um, it was just, you know, an explosion because we gave ourselves to Christ and the Eucharist and the Blessed Mother. Wow, that is wonderful. And I've, I've, I have heard and I've, I saw that myself when I lived in Boston, the effects of having a place where there was perpetual adoration and just kind of that ripple effect within the community. And, and I guess it's, I guess it's an obvious question, but what, what's the connection there? Uh, when we're building up that Eucharistic culture, why is it having this impact, Joan? Why do you think so? I mean, I think it's um, in some ways, it's just that vulnerability and that openness to Christ. I think that, yeah. um, I mean, perpetual adoration is a lot of work for a place. You That's have, a good point. have to make sure there's a doors around the clock. You have to yeah. make sure that, that it's safe. And I think it's a sign that the parish or the diocese understands the real presence, knows that it's important, knows what's happening. Like we're not kneeling in front of a piece of bread, that there's this like 
Eucharistic theology that's core and central and the people are willing to sacrifice for it. And then I think, you know, so often, you know, whether it's evangelization or personal holiness, we emphasize far too much our own work and our own, like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to have this plan. I'm going to set this in motion. And no, you're not. The Lord's going to do it. And I think that's what we see in, in adoration. Go sit in front of him for an hour a week and see how your life has changed. Um, just because you're open to what he's willing to do. And, and I think it just is such a, an active, but also kind of, you know, um, receptive way of opening our lives and opening our communities to him. That's beautiful. And with all that in mind, you must be excited and grateful then for this movement of Eucharistic revival in, in our country at this time is, uh, is there, are you hoping to do more in connection with this ongoing revival that's happening right now? I would love to, I think a a lot because I've seen what the Eucharist has done in my life, in the life of my parish. Um, And so I, you know, I I just started kind of dedicating my life to Catholic speaking full time a year ago. And it was right around that time where I heard about the revival first being spoken about. And I thought, I want to go to every parish. I want to be part of this. And so, you know, I have to wait for the invitations to come, but I, I've already, you know, crafted different talks to try to like, how, how do we make the Eucharist? How do we revive, right? How do we make the Eucharist such a part of our prayer lives? What does that look like? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm excited. Yeah. And I mean, I know there's a a timeline with the revival, but we know that it's going to continue for generations to come. So we just need to build up that momentum and I hope you can be a part of it. And I hope many can respond to the Lord's call to, to share the good news of, of the truth of the Eucharist for sure. Uh, For those who are just tuning in, I'm speaking with Joan Watson, who is a Catholic speaker and author based in Nashville, Tennessee. How'd you find your way to Nashville, Joan? So I did grad work um, at Steubenville, and I was actually graduating with my my master's in theology, not really knowing what I was going to do. What do you do with a master's in theology? Um, You go work at a parish, or you go work at a diocese, or you go teach. So I started putting applications in, and um, I was actually studying in Rome at the time, which made it even harder to find a job in the United States. Oh my but I, my sister was a Nash, is a Nashville Dominican, as they're known. Um, she's a Dominican sister of St. Cecilia. So I reached out to the sisters, and um, eventually I started working. I worked for about six years for the sisters here in Nashville at their college, Aquinas College, before then moving to diocesan work after that. So I moved to Nashville for the job, but fell in love with the city. Wonderful. What's the diocesan work then you did? Um, So I worked for six years. I started out as the director of adult formation. And because of the work I did for the sisters, I was doing a lot in catechesis with um, catechetical formation, um, forming volunteers and RCIA directors and any, you know, volunteer, any, you know, even school teachers in the faith before they went into the classroom. Right. So as I did that for six years, I realized you know, these teachers could be formed, but they're teaching kids who are going home to homes where the parents might not be formed. And I realized there's this huge gap, especially in our diocese, but now I see it across the country where there wasn't a lot of adult formation. So there was formation for catechists. There was youth groups. There was a lot being poured out into the kids, but what about their parents? And that has really become the passion of my life is to work to help what we, I like to call the people in the pew. Um, we don't do enough for the people in the pew. We don't help them. We, I think sometimes we just expect them to hear the, the homily on Sunday 
and be formed. And so I went to our bishop and I said, if you ever want to do anything for adult formation, I would love to do it. And there was no position. And he said, okay, let's do it. And so he hired me as the first director of adult formation. About three years later, I was promoted to um, director of faith formation over everything. Um, and then I was in that role when I, when I left the diocese. Um, okay. So yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm just curious because I, I share that that passion and that concern for the adults, especially, because uh, again, I, I'm, I work with a lot of, uh, a lot of kids myself in my ministry, and I know I only get them an hour a week. Um, mm-hmm. I, I'm just kind of curious, what have you seen that worked and didn't work with trying to, to reinforce the faith at home? It's hard. It's really hard. And um, I really concentrated on, you know, really providing opportunities. And this is what I still do providing opportunities for the adults to know and love Jesus Christ, because if the parents don't know him, they're not going to love him. And if they don't love him and they don't know how to love him, how are they going to pass him on to the kids? And so I think a lot of times we have these like beautiful lesson plans and these beautiful plans for the youth group. And we forget that we just have to like, we have to start by helping their parents fall in love with Jesus. Um, And most of the people who are not in love with Jesus just don't know him. You know, they think they, they think they know him. They think they love him and they just don't know him. They don't know why the church teaches something or they don't know scriptures. And that's kind of become the heart of my ministry is how do we introduce adults to the scriptures more than just the Sunday mass readings so that they can really fall in love with Jesus Christ. And I think it goes back to what we were talking about with the Eucharistic adoration. I, you know, I no longer work at the diocese, but I used to say nothing I did would compare to simply opening perpetual adoration chapels in the diocese, you know, no capital campaign, no um, vocation campaign, open perpetual adoration chapels in the diocese and then see in five years, what you're, what you're doing. And I think so often we have these grand plans and we're not listening to what the Lord really just wants to do in our hearts. But, um, but that's kind of a soapbox of mine. (laughs) (laughs) Um, well, speaking of plans and, and I know you, uh, off uh, offline, we were talking about uh, your love of uh, uh, scripture study, I think, and mm-hmm. how you had mm-hmm. some plans of your own. And I'm curious, can you share with us how you might be moving forward with uh, some plans to, to help people open up and meet Jesus uh, in our, in the scriptures? Sure. So I left uh, my job at the diocese last May and it was really fueled by um, a desire to do more for adults and to really be in the trenches with the people in the pew And so I dedicated, I kind of just, you know, threw caution to the wind and went out on my own as a freelance writer and then a speaker. And so I'll travel around the country doing parish missions, women's retreats, um, and I am working on a number of Bible studies. So scripture study really is is the heart. Like, I think that's the key right now is just falling in love with Jesus in the scriptures. So when I left my job, I started a Patreon account. So Patreon is really big here in Nashville because it's mostly artists, whether um, graphic artists or musicians, you can have an account and people can support you in an ongoing way. So they support you monthly. And then in return, they get something from you. So for musicians, you would get like first cuts of albums and things like that. I kind of turned it on its head and, and made Patreon a service of evangelization saying, if you become my patron, like the patrons of the arts, you can be a patron of evangelization. You can support me as I'm in this ministry, you know, in between spot and I'll do monthly Bible studies online. And so I started doing that. I have a core group of patrons and I was doing monthly Bible studies. So they get to vote on what we talk about. And then once a month we do an hour long study on whatever they want to cover. 
Um, I also did some Lent and Advent Bible studies free for everyone. And those were multi-week studies and I just, they're all on YouTube and we just kind of came together as a digital community and looked at scripture. And what I was surprised by, and I shouldn't have been, what I was surprised by was this community that sprung up of Catholics hungering to know more about the word of God, knowing that the Sunday homily wasn't enough. They wanted more. They wanted the background. They wanted, you know, what this Greek word means. They want the historical context they were starving and they were starving for the community of others. I had this one woman who would log on from New Zealand. You know, she would log on in New Zealand in the morning to watch my studies live in the evenings because she didn't have a community there. She didn't have a place to go and learn more. And so out of that has come this community. I call it living one John one, which is one of my favorite scripture verses. And this community is online and it's the same. You, you have a membership, there's a whole free tier. And so you can just join the community and get to know other Catholics and have questions and discussions. But then there's also a membership where you get monthly Bible studies. There's a book club. There's, there's things that um, you can have kind of the fellowship, which one John one talks about the fellowship with other Christians while we're studying the word of God and then proclaiming it to others. So um, there are also, there will also be courses where we look at like, what does it look like to interpret scripture? How does the church read scripture differently? And so it's really a biblical kind of community, not academic, not highbrow, not right. heady, but for the people in the pew. So very like the, the, the courses I teach are really laid back. You know, they're just, they're conversational because I'm just like you guys. And I just, yeah. I, you know, I want to know what scripture says and I want to know it more so that I can pray it. And so we always go yeah. back to Lexio Divina. Because Lexio Divina, this way of praying the scriptures, I think will nourish people's prayer lives to help them fall in love with Jesus even more. Pope Benedict said that Lexio Divina, if it was practiced regularly, would lead to a new springtime in the church. And so I was really struck when I read that because we don't hear Lexio Divina really um, talked about, but it's a way of praying the scriptures. And um, so all of my knowledge of the scripture should always be leading me to praying the scriptures and knowing Jesus Christ. Beautiful. I, I, thanks for sharing. I, and I want to ask, uh, what's one John one, what's the verse? <laughs> so one John one, you think I have it memorized. Um, one John uh, one is when he talks about, um, what I've received, what I've, what I've touched, what I've experienced. Yeah. I now hand on to you, um, that we may, um, to, that we may testify to the word of life, proclaim it, and that we may have fellowship together and with the Trinity so that our joy may be complete. So there's all this beautiful, it's like this long run on sentence, but it's this beautiful idea that what John the evangelist saw, experienced, he, he ate with him. He laughed with him. He walked with him. He now wants to share that relationship so that the knowledge of Jesus and knowledge of what the church teaches and knowledge of God isn't just a head knowledge, but it's this experience of Jesus that gives us joy that we want to then hand on. So, so often we just study scripture kind of flatly like oh what's this word mean what was jesus what was the context right instead of studying it within this relationship that jesus wants to reveal himself to us as a friend and so that's what i love about one john one it's very uh, tangible that john says i walked with this guy and now i want to share him with you and i think that's I really powerful it. and that's a beautiful summary of evangelization right there i've yeah. walked with this guy and yeah. i want to share him with you i love it yeah. uh joan yeah. as we're as we're kind of getting close to wrapping up i often ask my guests uh if you've got some words of, of hope and encouragement for our listeners um those who might be having maybe a 
kind of a long day, sort of asking questions about the faith, might feel a little bit deflated or discouraged, what might you say to them these days? I think it goes back to what we said kind of towards the very beginning that um, you don't have to have a plan, all the right words. You don't have to have everything figured out. That's not what Jesus asks. Jesus just asks us to be open and receptive. And so, so often, especially like around maybe Lent, we have this great plan of what we're going to do and we have this everything. And then, you know, everything's shattered because something happens and, you know, and we can be really hard on ourselves. Like when our day doesn't go as well as it should, or God just wants you to show up. And I think so often we forget that, that it's not really about the stuff we're doing. It's about what God wants to do through us. And so when you do get discouraged, um, just return to prayer, even if you don't have all the words, even if you're just sitting there and saying, Lord, I don't even know what to say. Um, the Lord wants to work through you. And he works through all of us, even broken instruments like me. Love it. No, those are beautiful words of wisdom, Joan. Thank you. Where, where can our listeners learn more about what you're doing these days? So my website is joanmwatson.com, joanmwatson.com. My YouTube channel is just Joan Watson. So youtube.com slash Joan Watson. Uh, my Lent Bible study is still up there. My Advent Bible study is still up there. So people can catch it there. And then I'm pretty active on Instagram. And on Instagram, my handle is joan.m.watson. And a lot of times on Instagram, I'll advertise kind of what's coming up and what I'm doing. But yeah. Right. Well, uh, we'll encourage our listeners to go check out those different sites and we'll link to them as well in our show notes. Joan, I'm so thankful for your for your time today. I just ask that God continue to bless you and your ministry of reaching souls and sharing with them the good, uh, the beautiful news of the gospel. Thank you so much. Thank you. I loved how Joan wrapped up our conversation. She said that you don't have to have a plan with all the right words. That's not what Jesus asks. He just asks us to be open and receptive. God just wants you to show up. And isn't that the truth? We want to go marching into each day in the same kind of way we go into a meeting with a clear idea of how things are going to go. But God is not asking for us to prepare an agenda. He asks us only for our faithfulness to His call. Again, God just wants us to show up. And in fact, it's probably better if we show up empty-handed, because if we extend those empty hands and lift them up to our Lord in trust, then I guarantee He will fill our hands with more than we could expect or imagine. You know, I saw a funny meme the other day that said, just once I want the opportunity to dramatically swipe everything off a table to make room for a giant map that I'll use to explain the plan. And it made me chuckle because honestly, I'd love to try this. It looks so satisfying in the movies, right? When the character clears off that table with such confidence so that everyone in the room knows where to go next and what to do. But in the spiritual life, that's kind of what God wants to do with us. He wants to dramatically clear off the clutter that's on our tables and to show us that big map and how the plan will unfold. That's his job. We just need to come around the table and look and listen a little more closely to the person in charge. You know, many years ago, I was working in the travel industry and I'd had a particularly productive day and my boss remarked that I was working with Gusto and my coworker turned to me with a slightly confused look and asked, who's Gusto? She wasn't aware of the expression to work with Gusto, so she thought I had been working with someone else by the name of Gusto when in fact my boss was simply observing that I'd worked with some extra enthusiasm that day. But in the Christian life, if we possess that kind of holy enthusiasm, then we are, in fact, working with much more than just an emotion or a momentum. We are actually working with a person, and that person is Jesus. So where is God asking you to show up this week? 
And are you ready to work with the person of Jesus so that you can bring even just a little more light and joy into the world? That's my challenge and my prayer for you all this week. Show up with faith and be ready to let go and trust. Thank you so much for tuning in. Again, my name is Miriam Marston, and I hope you can join me next time as we continue to blaze a trail of faith, hope, and love here in the Pacific Northwest. Until then, stay close to Christ. God bless you all. You've been listening to Blazing the Trail, a weekly show dedicated to the church's mission of evangelization. For more information on Miriam Marston and her work, plus an archive of our past shows, visit us online at matradayradio.com or download the Hail Mary Media app. Blazing the Trail is produced at the studios of Matraday Radio in Portland, Oregon. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider sharing it with a friend. You can support this vital mission of evangelization through materdayradio.com or the Hail Mary Media app. And thank you for helping us lead souls to Jesus through the Blessed Virgin Mary.